Welcome to Banking on KC. I'm your host, Kelly Scanlon. Thank you for joining us. With us on this episode is Tony Bavuso, the CEO of Saving Sight, a nonprofit whose mission is to change lives by saving sight. Welcome, Tony. Hi, Kelly. Thanks for having me. Saving Sight. It has a long history in Missouri. In fact, you just celebrated a a milestone anniversary. You go back 60 years to 1960. So give us a little bit of background on how it got started and why. Saving Sight started as an iBank back in 1960, about the same time that Lions Club members in different states around the country were making sort of a grassroots effort to start iBanking. When many people think about the field of organ and tissue donation, they don't realize that iBanking has been around longer than organ banking has. So it took sort of that grassroots effort from Lions Club members who's really took to heart the mission from Helen Keller speaking at one of their international meetings about blindness, and they made that their cause. And so helping to get iBanking started at a grassroots level around the country was the origin for not only our iBank, but a lot of other Lions iBanks around the country. It was done here in Missouri in partnership uh, with the University of Missouri in Columbia, And then over the years, we have grown in our service area to include both Kansas and central Illinois. So a three-state region now. three-state region now. And we currently have five offices throughout our territory to serve the individual communities, you know, within. But more recently, the name was changed to its current name, Saving Sight. Yeah, and that's been about eight years ago, roughly now. Our corporate name did not change. Our corporate name is the Missouri Lions Eye Research Foundation. Prior to Saving Sight, we did business under the name Heartland Lions Eye Banks. And then about eight years ago, we changed the name to Saving Sight. And that name change was really about us being able to encapsulate the work that we do within the name. One of the core functions that we do as an iBank is we speak to families about eye donation, sometimes a few minutes after their loved one has passed away. Right. They didn't know who we were. And it was hard to explain who we were based on our name. And so that was a practical thing that sort of drove our name change. But also, we felt that it better encapsulated who we are and what we do. And in that process of rebranding under the name Saving Sight, we updated our mission to reflect the same. In addition to the longer name being a practical concern, when you talk about saving sight when you're talking with a family that just conveys a sense that their loved one will be doing something positive, that they'll be part of them living on and doing something constructive, even in their death, they're saving sight. Absolutely. It makes so much sense. It, it also reflects a call to action. Yes. Just the name itself reflects this call to action for stakeholders and, and people in the community who hear who we are. Just the name says, hey, be part of this mission to change lives by saving sight. 
Talk to us then about what happens at Saving Sight on a daily basis. Sure. iBanking is part of the larger field of organ and tissue banking. And so we definitely have partners within the industry, so to speak. So there is an organ and tissue recovery agency here in Kansas City that we work closely with. There's also one in St. Louis and one in Chicago that we work closely with across our territory. There are also hospitals that we work closely with. There are surgeons that we work closely with, medical examiners, funeral directors. It's a large community of different folks, different stakeholders that somehow have involvement in the work that we do. So in terms of a typical day here at Saving Sight, um, we are a 24-7, 365 operation, so we never are closed. We have agreements with hospitals in our three-state area. Hospitals are required to have these agreements in place with eye, organ, and tissue banks, where when someone passes away in the hospital, they refer that death to us, mm-hmm. and we have a few preliminary questions that we ask to see if the person might be a candidate for eye donation. If they are a candidate, the first thing that we do is check the state registry to see if they said yes to being a donor when they renewed their driver's license or got online and registered themselves as a donor. If they're not on the registry, then we reach out to their legal next of kin And we go through an informed consent process with their next of kin to obtain consent. We also ask them some questions about their medical and social history as part of our screening process. And then we dispatch a technician who's trained to do the actual eye tissue removal on site, typically at the hospital, sometimes in the morgue. And so these technicians will do the surgical removal of the cornea, which is the front part of the eye, the clear part that looks a little bit like a contact lens when it's removed. And that gets preserved in a media that allows us to store the tissue on site here for 14 days under refrigeration. As soon as that tissue is recovered and preserved, we move quickly through a process to do a very thorough review of the donor's medical history, and we build out their own uh, sort of medical chart here, our version of the medical chart here. Mm-hmm. And then that gets reviewed and, and approved if there are no nothing in the, in the medical history that would prevent them from being able to use that tissue for transplant. We also do a microscopic evaluation of the tissue in our laboratory. And for some surgeons who are doing newer techniques in corneal transplant surgery, we do some additional processing. So sometimes we do a resection of the tissue or we do a manual peel of a particular layer, the back layer of the cornea for an endothelial transplant. So we have these relationships with surgeons who use our tissue for transplant in their patients. We have a plentiful supply, a plentiful enough supply of eye tissue that corneal surgeons can just call us and schedule a surgery date with their patients. And then we give them a call a few days ahead of that surgery to let them know what tissue we have available. And then we make arrangements and you know, take care of the logistics of getting the tissue from us to the surgery center for transplantation. Yeah. So really you act as a 
facilitator of the entire process. We do. From securing the tissue to storing the tissue to delivering the tissue to the surgeons who need it. Yes. And in fact, as of, you know, a few years ago, you might even hear some surgeons say that it goes beyond that, that we, one surgeon famously said that he relies on his local eye bank to make the first cut in his surgery because of the processing that I mentioned. That's something that has developed out of a really a lot of collaboration and trust between local eye banks and the surgeons that they serve. They have grown to recognize that we have the volume and some really good technicians who do this over and over again every single day and have developed a really great skill set to do resection specialized processing in a really excellent way. And it saves the surgeon time yes. and money. And it saves the surgeon in, from an issue coming up if, if the tissue gets messed up. You mentioned that you have an abundance of corneal transplants. You have enough, as you said. Uh, what is the demand, not just locally, but nationwide? What is the demand for corneal transplants? And, and what are some of the leading causes that drive that demand? In the United States, the demand for cornea transplants is somewhere around 55 to 60,000 per year. That is relatively stable. It's not growing a whole lot. As the eye banking industry has matured, we have really gotten to the point where we're able to meet the demand here in the United States and then some. And so what ends up happening is a lot of us eye banks, especially those of us that are larger eye banks in the country, and saving site is about uh, probably ranked six or seven in terms of size of eye bank in the United States. A lot of our tissue that isn't needed here in our local area or in our country gets sent abroad. They don't have mature local eye banking systems in their countries. And so there is a huge reliance on the United States to provide cornea tissue in other countries that just don't have access. In 2016, you launched Vital Tears. What is that and how does it live within the overall mission of Saving Sight? Vital Tears came about as a result of a couple of our corneal surgeons that we work most closely with asking me and us as the eye bank to provide autologous serum eye drops. Vital Tears are typically used by people who suffer from severe dry eye or other related conditions of the surface of their eye that causes inflammation. And they receive vital tears by visiting their eye doctor. And this could be a corneal surgeon. That's how vital tears started is because we work so closely with corneal surgeons. Many of them have chronic dry eye patients that they are treating. Also, we serve optometrists and the patients that they have. And so there are optometrists out there who are also treating dry eye patients and uh, write orders for autologous serum eye drops for their patients. And so it's all done online. We have an online system. And so when an eye doctor wants to prescribe these tears for their patients, they link up with us and we get them in our system and then set their clinic up so that patients who come in and need this can order them as a result of being in the system. 
the reason surgeons were coming to us asking for this is that there is very little access in the community. And some surgeons were having to try to do this on the counter in the back of their clinic. And so they saw us as equipped, having good facilities and the right kind of um, quality assurance programs in place to do this in a more consistent and scaled up way. And so after they asked me over and over again for probably two or three years before I finally listened and decided, well, maybe we should try to meet this request. We ultimately did. And when we did, we realized just how little access there was to serum tears, not just in our area here and in our three-state area, but across the country. We really rolled things out slowly to give ourselves time to figure out the most efficient way to provide tears, first here locally and then beyond our regional scale, and then now we're nationwide. And that required a lot of infrastructure building and partnering to make that happen. Talk to us about future possibilities. What are some of the coming innovations in corneal transplant surgery that you're excited about? Yeah. So corneal transplant surgery has evolved a lot over the years and over my time, 23 years in eye banking, most cornea transplants were full thickness. So if you think of taking a cookie cutter and punching a circular button out of good donor tissue and punching the same size button out of the patient's diseased cornea and swapping them. That's what a cornea transplant was for many, many years. And those are still done when necessary, but following the trends in other specialties of medicine, corneal transplant surgery has gotten more targeted. And so there are five layers to your cornea. And now uh, surgeons are transplanting just the layer level of disease. So if you are a patient who suffers from a disease that damages the back layer of your cornea, which is a large number of people who receive cornea transplants, about 60% of the tissue we send out is for those kinds of transplants then the surgeon is really only transplanting the back layer of the cornea. And that was a big shift in corneal transplantation over my time. It's just amazing how fine of a process that is, that they can isolate it to just a slender layer like that. The thickness of those layers that get transplanted has gotten thinner and thinner and thinner over time to the point now where we're doing a manual dissection of the back layer of the cornea and sending that to surgeons. And so that's only about 10 or 20 microns thick. It's like wet tissue paper (laughs) trying to work with it. Those are being sent out now. And that's quite a leap from where we were when I first started out in iBanking. I think the future will continue in that direction. And some things that are on the horizon would be like injectable cells. So rather than transplant a layer of tissue, it's a certain volume of cells that have a way of attaching themselves to the back of a person's cornea and then taking root, so to speak, and functioning to repair the damage. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that I would say that's still perhaps quite a few years away. Mm-hmm. 
but that is something that is being researched right now and worked on. A lot of work's being done on in that area. Yeah, that definitely has a lot of interesting implications. One of the beneficiaries of Saving Sight was a well-known Kansas City artist by the name of Gabriella Mountain, and she created a number of larger-than-life commissioned sculptures around Kansas City, sculptures, mosaics, some stained glass pieces. One of those was the old main library's floor at 12th and McGee. But tell us about that story, because I I find that story fascinating because it's just one of those true feel-good stories where the gift came full circle. So tell us about that. Sure. Yeah, the gift did come full circle with Gabriella Mountain. She was in need of of a cornea transplant. And so she received one and the tissue came from Saving Sight. And she talked to her surgeon, learned from her surgeon about where the tissue came from and became interested in the work that we do. Through her surgeon, we made a connection with her and were able to tell her more about what she was interested in, about what we do and how this whole sort of miracle for her gift of sight came to be. As a result of that relationship, she decided that she wanted to contribute more to the work that we do and arranged for planned giving to come to Saving Sight as a result of her receiving a a cornea transplant. And so uh, we became the beneficiary of her generous donation to the work that we do. Yeah. And that was fairly recently. Mm -hmm. She passed away at the age of, she was over a hundred years old. I I think she was 102. And just to, to, you know, piggyback off of that story, there are ways that the community can get involved. Our listeners can get involved in what you do. You don't have to be a technician or you don't have to be a transplant surgeon to get involved with Saving Sight. Tell us about some of the ways that the community can work with you. The first thing that we always tell people is advocate, be an advocate for organ and tissue donation and for eye donation in our case. And if you're not on the donor registry in the state of Missouri or the state of Kansas or the state of Illinois, to do that. The other thing is to speak to your family about your desire to be a donor, because oftentimes when someone passes away and we end up speaking to the family, they don't know what the wishes of their loved one are or were, and it can make for a difficult decision for family members. So I think getting on the registry and then speaking to your family about wanting to be a donor are two really important pieces to the puzzle here. Tony, thank you so much for being our guest today on this episode of Banking on KC. We appreciate all the work that you do for all those needing the cornea transplants and wish you lots of luck in the future. Thank you, Kelly. It was a pleasure. This is Joe Close, president of Country Club Bank. Thank you to Tony Bavuso for being our guest on this episode of Banking on KC. Our ability to see is something most of us take for granted. But for a significant number of people who have lost that ability through injury, accident, or disease, receiving a corneal tissue transplant is the key to having their vision restored. Saving Sight's innovative processes and solutions are becoming a global model for how eye banking and charitable vision services can best serve people and communities. Country Club Bank has long been a supporter of giving back to the community. Becoming an organ donor is giving back in the most personal way possible. Donors literally give of themselves. 
As you consider how you can make a difference, don't overlook organ donation. It's an investment in someone's future. Thanks for tuning in this week. We're banking on you, Kansas City. Country Club Bank, member FDIC.